overlooking America's nuclear facilities. But it's not the U.S. keeping an eye on things, it's an adversary. In this special report, we look at how the Chinese Communist Party has gotten close to America's nuclear secrets, why that's a risk to national security, and how experts say there needs to be a fundamental shift in how we view the Chinese regime. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Weapons of mass destruction. America's nuclear facilities are intentionally placed in remote areas. It's partly a safeguard in case something goes wrong. But the other reason is to make sure adversaries can't find them. But it seems one country already has. Huawei had put its cell towers around America's nuclear missile bases and Special Operations Command and nuclear sub-base and it was clearly not a coincidence because they were not making any money on these deployments. That's John Pelson, author of the book Wireless Wars, China's dangerous domination of 5G and how we are fighting back. Now, where these nuclear bases are located is important. Many of America's nuclear missile silos are located in areas like Wyoming, Montana and North Dakota. The reason they put these locations in the middle of the country is because they don't want our enemies to be able to get close to them and see what's going on and hear what's going on. And a cell tower overlooking uh, a military base is a great way to know what's happening on that base. FBI agents have been monitoring Huawei gear used by these smaller rural telecoms providers that show up next to U.S. nuclear bases. Pelson adds it's no accident that's where Huawei gear pops up. And it was clearly a, a political and military move that they were that they were doing to put their cell tower equipment right around our most secure locations in the country. The Biden administration has opened up an investigation into Huawei. Reuters reports that's over concerns that Huawei cell towers are close to nuclear facilities and military bases in the U.S. and that they could intercept sensitive information and pass it along to the Chinese Communist Party. Reuters notes the Commerce Department opened the investigation and subpoenaed Huawei shortly after Biden took office. While the probe is ongoing, John Lenkart, former FBI counterintelligence executive focusing on Huawei, said back in March this year that when it comes to Huawei, ZTE and other Chinese telecoms companies. A lot of that is based on its overt functionality and the ability of the Chinese nation state to potentially collect and move data without anyone here in the, in the U.S. knowing about it. Since telecoms is so critical, how much access does China have to America's network? A map in Wireless War shows nearly 86% of the U.S. has coverage by Huawei or ZTE. But even that number doesn't account for all the areas covered by Huawei or ZTE gear. Those areas are usually focused in rural America. The Rural Wireless Association, or RWA, noted that as of 2018, 25% of their networks use either Huawei or ZTE. So what happens when critical infrastructure, like telecoms, is compromised? For national security, for other critical infrastructures like banking, energy, the telecommunication is the nerve center for all that, and it acts without that a lot of these other, our ability to respond in a, in a time of crisis from a national security perspective is extremely impaired. 
Back in 2019, FBI Director Christopher Wray said he believes China at large is the most significant counterintelligence threat we face. U.S. intelligence officials have warned the Chinese regime can exploit Huawei for espionage or to launch cyber attacks. These are capabilities that are very real capabilities that are there that a nation state would absolutely leverage in a time of war and a time of crisis. Now, let's look at what exactly China can do through Huawei. First, Pelson points out. If you make the equipment that goes into a cell tower, they're, they're not, Huawei's not running that network, but they made the equipment and you never let your hands off of equipment. That means even if it's a Western telecoms company that uses Huawei gear, Huawei has a say over what data that gear collects. When you install it, whether it's for Verizon or AT&T or whether it's for a rural family-owned company like this, the company that built it has to keep an eye on it and make sure they're giving software updates, that if there's a service problem, they can look at the box itself and fix it remotely. You know, Huawei's not going to fly someone all the way across the world to fix a remote cell tower, so it's remotely controlled. That remote control means all data collected is being sent back to. So when it comes to Huawei near nuclear facilities, how does that fact play in? So when you have that, you can tell, even if you can't eavesdrop, on what's being said over the connections. And that's a possibility, whether or not they can isn't clear. You can tell through something called metadata. You can tell who's there on the base that day. Who are they calling? So you know the numbers called in and out. You know who they text. You know where they are. You can tell the volume. You can see if there's a lot of activity going on. Pelsa notes there's instances of this playing out, not just around nuclear bases, but places buzzing with intel. You've got a Navy SEAL base and there's Huawei equipment around our Navy SEAL bases and you see there's suddenly there's a surge of activity and these senior people from the Pentagon are now on that SEAL base because you can tell who's there. Remember that you maybe can't maybe can't hear what they're saying, but you say, why are these people at that base? A, a, a geopolitical rival or an enemy can say, we can tell that America is getting ready to do something. And you also have the possibility of saying, we're going to send a signal out here, and now that cell site's not going to work so well. Pelsa notes because most of the intel, including from the military, goes over public networks, the one in control of that network now wields a lot of power. The person, the company running the equipment, has the possibility of being able to deactivate it or throttle it, which in a time of crisis would be very damaging, very dangerous. We reached out to Huawei but did not get a response by airtime. Now, Huawei has fired back time and again that it's a private company, not some insidious arm of the Chinese regime. But is it? Rafael Fontana, Brazilian journalist and author of Chernobyl, a journey through the guts of the communist dictatorship. Fontana worked as a journalist in China. After returning to Brazil, Chinese telecoms giant Huawei hired him as a PR director. Through that relationship, he got an inside look into how the regime operates. When I was interviewed by the vice president of the communications in Brazil, I realized that he was a member of the CCP. A few days later, I attended a meeting in Sao Paulo, and all the top exec executives in the office were members of the party. And it didn't stop there. After a while, I traveled to the headquarters of Huawei in China, in the city of Shenzhen. There was no surprise. All the top positions in the company are occupied by the CCP members. And of course, the CEO, Renjin Fei, is himself a member of the party. 
Now uh, we can think of something here. If all the members of Huawei, the top executives, are members of the CCP, who is controlling the company? I think you have the answer. Fontana also sheds light on how Huawei functions. It operates as a private company when it's uh, like building infrastructure and, well, trying to, to find new clients. But of course, all the negotiation comes from the government of China. And it's really dangerous because uh, Huawei and other big tech companies of China, they are working uh, for the, the CCP purposes. In other words, there are no private companies in China. And Fontana notes the Chinese regime leverages that power over other countries. The Brazilian government was blackmailed by the Chinese regime. Uh, if Brazil didn't allow Huawei to build the 5G infrastructure inside the country, China wouldn't sell coronavirus vaccines to Brazil. Turning back to the United States, companies can no longer import Huawei gear. The FCC banned it. But as for the older gear, like 4G network equipment, Congress provided money for companies to remove the old Huawei gear. The program was called Rip and Replace. The problem is, they said, we don't want to pay companies to upgrade to fancy new equipment. We just want to have them replace the old stuff that they have. And these companies said, well, we've got old 4G and everyone's going to 5G. Why would we tear it out and put in more 4G? It's just not being done like that anymore. And, uh, and so what's happened is it's still Huawei equipment. More than a year later, it's still Huawei equipment looking down over our most sensitive military bases. And we're trying to figure out how to handle this uh, to get that stuff removed. Money is a big issue. That's because rural areas are impacted most. They turned to Huawei and ZTE in the first place because of the company's unbeatable pricing. Other companies on the market, like Nokia and Ericsson, can't compete with Huawei prices. So who's to blame? The CCP uses America's culture against us, which is that we're a freewheeling country. If a local company wants to buy equipment from a Chinese manufacturer, they're free to do it. And that's at least been the case uh, in the past. Uh, the government banned federal employees from carrying a Huawei cell phone, but a rural company not only could deploy Huawei, but they could use a federal grant to put it in, which ironically is uh, funded through debt issues and treasury bills that are bought by the Chinese. So how can the Chinese regime leverage that? Part of uh, the CCP and the insidiousness of, of how the Chinese nation state stays ahead of its competitors is they steal a lot of intellectual property. Uh, that's, again, well known. The FBI director has been on record over the last year many times discussing the pervasiveness uh, of that program, of the efforts of the Chinese nation state to steal U.S. intellectual property. But it's not just Huawei overlooking nuclear and missile bases. Other Chinese companies are popping up on U.S. soil next to sensitive locations, too. Palson says it's important to note what the intent is. You know, you have this... this uh, Global Hawk drone base that China is putting a, a corn milling operation right on the border of it. And this is a company that says we don't have any customers in that area. We've never built anything in the U.S. We have no food processing operations in the U.S. But we thought this area, it's actually in North Dakota, this area would be perfect for us to build out a massive technical operation. 
Going back to intent, why is the location raising red flags? People say, well, you're barely 10 miles from the most sophisticated wireless drone communications center in the country. And the whole key to that drone base is intercepting the radio signals between the ground and the drone and the drone and the satellites. You can't do that from a thousand miles away. You can't do it even from a hundred. From 10 miles away, you can listen in. And this is extraordinary that China is now buying up farmland near those types of bases with other, what I would consider pretenses uh, for why they had to pick that location. That brings up risks. Pelsa notes once again, it's important to notice where the Chinese regime is buying up land and properties. But if you're building $700 million worth of corn milling and processing, which is what the Chinese company supposedly wants to do, there's going to be every opportunity there to make this an eavesdropping site. And there was no credibility, in my opinion, to the story about why they had to pick that location, which they acknowledged isn't near their customers, is far north for where they would have otherwise put it, and is the only location they're going to have in the United States. They decided that North Dakota was the place to be. Given all that's at risk, what can be done? There are various review processes that the government's had in place for years. One of them has the, the acronym CFIUS, which is a board that's made up of the senior most people at the State Department, Commerce, Intelligence Communities, I believe the Pentagon. And this is literally at the, at the secretary level and assistant secretary level. They review business transactions involving uh, national security. There's been successes in the past where these review processes kicked in in time. Uh, Chinese, I think Huawei tried to buy company, uh, I think called 3Com, it was a networking data networking company, and it was blocked because they felt if they bought that they would have access to government uh, information, and so the government said you can't do it. They even make them unwind deals that have been done in the past. So that kind of scrutiny, that kind of a hurdle can be put in place to keep enemy countries or to keep uh, threats to our security from, uh, from taking place. Given America's free market economy, is the solution turning from that? I'm not one for government uh, clamping down on individual liberty and personal behavior. Uh, there are times, however, where the government has to say, yeah, I know you'd like to sell your farm for two and a half million dollars to Fu Fung Group for corn milling, and it's your property. But uh, unless they ban it, it's going to happen. People are free to do as they want unless it's made against the law. Pelson says there's a time and place for laws. And when it comes to national security, those rules should be implemented. You know, you have to ban the carriers from putting in Huawei equipment because if you don't ban them, they're going to say, look, I've got shareholders. I've got to put in the best, cheapest equipment. And Huawei was effectively giving away its cell tower equipment. They were selling it so cheaply. FBI uh, section chief that I spoke to about this said that the other equipment vendors and the other companies are companies like Ericsson and Nokia, but the vendors said, if we tried to sell that equipment out to that carrier at the price that Huawei charged, we would, the sun would run out of energy before we ever made our money back. There's just no business sense to it. So the government has to say, even if they want to give it away for free, you can't take it. You can't put it into your system. It's a matter of national security. If steps aren't taken and taken fast, experts warn. So the fact that we have uh, Chinese companies that are embedded within that infrastructure and have the ability, the potential, the capability to divert, degrade, 
or, or sabotage and shut off comms at the time of the choosing of the Chinese nation state, uh, it, is, it is a severe national security risk, which, again, which is why there has been a shift in regulation and legislation to account for that. Paulson says there needs to be a fundamental shift in how we view the Chinese regime. The challenge here is um, that we have to recognize that China is not a trading partner. They're a geopolitical rival. I think they see us as an enemy, which is a, a frightening thought. We've never looked at them that way. We, we see the world in a, a liberal worldview that we all just want to get wealthier and healthier and happier. Paulson notes that's not what the Chinese regime wants. So what is it? Under the Chinese Communist Party, the goal primarily is to get more powerful. And even if that means the people will be poorer, or people will die, or people will starve, if they can extend their power, they're willing to do it. And we have to realize that. As a government, I think we're starting to realize that we're working on different models here. We're not all just trying to get better off. They're trying to extend geopolitical power and hegemony over the rest of the world. Given the divergent goals the U.S. and the Chinese regime operate under, experts warn that action must be taken now to ensure we don't fall behind both in terms of innovation and also protecting the lives of every American from a regime that wants to stamp it out. To do that, they say we have to make sure we're not inviting the enemy into our heartland and letting it oversee our nuclear facilities. Coming up, President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping spoke over the phone this Thursday. He gave Biden a stern warning over Taiwan. We'll have details on the conversation after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. President Biden spoke with Chinese party head Xi Jinping on Thursday. That's as tensions are mounting over Taiwan and China's increasing military aggression. NTD's Iris Tao has the details. Amid rising tensions over Taiwan, President Biden talks with China's Xi Jinping for two hours and 20 minutes in their first call in months. President Biden underscored that the United States policy has not changed and that the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. It comes as Beijing is warning of forceful actions of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi indeed visits the democratically ruled island of Taiwan. In Chinese state media, quotes she as warning Biden that, quote, those who play with fire will perish by it. But the White House declines to say it marks an escalation. They had a, a very direct um, conversation. Um, and that uh, they've known each other for some time. The and in addition, uh, he raised um, uh, genocide and forced labor practices uh, by the PRC. That is something that he raised um, and he, uh, about the human rights, as he always does. But the White House says Biden and she also talked about working together. Uh, with particular focus on climate change and health security. And Senator Ted Cruz tells NTD's Melina Weiskub that he thinks the administration is being too soft on the communist regime. The United States should not purchase electric vehicles 
that are made with slave labor in concentration camps in China. And I've suggested we name John Kerry the customer of the year for the Chinese concentration camps because he is the single largest purchaser of, of products that they are ma be made under forced labor. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. More new COVID-19 cases are popping up in southern China and millions are headed back under lockdown. Some workers are even confined to a closed factory so their company can continue production. Here's more. In southern China, COVID-19 flare-ups are bringing back restrictions and partial lockdowns in certain cities. First, we zoom in on Wuhan. The city is known as the original epicenter of the virus. Local authorities there have issued three-day restrictions in some urban areas. Under the rule, over 900,000 residents are confined to their homes, and many public activities have been paused, too. Going further south, Shenzhen is home to a major technology and manufacturing hub. To keep production going as restrictions hit the area, officials have asked 100 major manufacturing enterprises to switch to a closed-loop production model for seven days. Under that closed loop, workers are required to work and live on site at their factories. Masks and daily COVID-19 tests are also mandatory. The Taiwan-based electronics maker Foxconn is among those on the list. The company is one of the largest suppliers of Apple products. What's more, famed tech companies like telecom provider Huawei, semiconductor maker SMIC, and drone manufacturer DJI have reportedly received the same instructions. Beyond that, overseas companies are struggling under the restrictions. Brands like Adidas and Maybelline New York are both facing major challenges in China. Now we look at the business sector. Adidas warned that its business in China faces a slow recovery. Now it's cutting its 2022 earnings goal as a result of its full-year net revenue coming in at at least 500 million U.S. dollars lower than it expected. The German sportswear maker has met difficulties in the Chinese market since 2021. That's due to its concerns about forced labor accusations tied to the Uyghur ethnic group. And this year, it's grappling with China's zero-COVID-19 policy and lockdowns, laying out an even steeper path to economic recovery. Another brand, skincare and cosmetics company Maybelline, is also facing trouble. It's now shut down all of its physical stores across China. The American brand entered China in 1997 and became popular with locals. But its Chinese market share fell from nearly 11 percent to under 5 percent in 2018. The same year, Maybelline started to pull its counters out of Chinese supermarkets. And in 2020, it began to leave department stores. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.